For the Athletic Podcast Network, this is The Update. I'm Adam Copeland. On today's show, we'll talk to Lindsey Jones, who covers the NFL for The Athletic, about the situation with John Gruden and the Las Vegas Raiders. He resigned on Monday following an investigation that revealed some emails in which he was homophobic, misogynistic, as well as racist in these emails. He parted ways with the Raiders on Monday. They now have to turn their sights to the rest of their season without the man who had 51% of roster control, along with the play-calling duties that went on on the field. The Raiders coming off of a couple of losses at 3-2 and will try to right the ship this weekend as they head to Denver. All things we can talk about with Lindsey Jones, who joins me next. Today is Friday, October 15th. It's my pleasure to welcome back to the podcast, Lindsey Jones. She, of course, covers the NFL for The Athletic on Twitter at ByLindseyHJones. Always make sure I get that in for you, Lindsey. How are you today? I'm great. How are you doing, Brian? Actually, this is not Brian. This is Adam. <laughs> this okay. is Adam. This is Adam. Sorry. I'm looking at my Slack with Brian. <laughs> no, what's funny about that is my dad's name is Brian, and he's a, a Bay Area media personality out here in San Francisco. And so my entire life, I've been Brian Copeland. Uh, when report cards get sent home or notes from the teacher, things like that. So no harm, no foul on your end, Lindsay. Uh, I wish we could start off talking about something more fun and more positive, but I, I wanted to have you on because I thought we'd get a good national perspective on what's going on with the uh, Las Vegas Raiders and the situation with John Gruden after he was relieved of his duties. He called it a resignation, really. I think he was he was asked to step down, right? Is basically the story. Yeah, I mean, I think that's kind of went into it as, you know, it was pretty clear that he could not continue in that role. So resigning versus being fired, there are legal implications to that in terms of, you know, salary and who's owed what. So resigning was a little cleaner, probably, than having to fire him and then go through the efforts to figure out if you could void contract years and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, so he resigned. Um, I guess this was Monday night. We're, you know, now a couple days into this. The Raiders are back at work. They're preparing for a game. They're trying to figure out who they are without the guy who did everything. I mean, there are a few teams in the league that were as head coach centric as the Raiders were under John Gruden. So, you know, losing him, pulling him out in the middle of a week in the first, you know, third of the season. This is a massive, massive change. I mean, it is the biggest story in the NFL this week, and it's going to continue to be one of the biggest stories in the NFL, I think, for this entire season. Unfortunately, the two biggest stories, I think, over the last two weeks, we spent so much time, you know, in the offseason talking quarterback movement, whether or not Aaron Rodgers wants out of Green Bay, can Tom Brady repeat? But really, so far, the two biggest stories this year have been Urban Meyer and, and John Gruden. And, you know, Urban Meyer, I think, was just waiting to get out of the news cycle, unfortunately for all of us. This is something that's that's really bad and really terrible. And I guess I want to talk about the next step of things, because this was an investigation into what the culture was like inside of the Washington football team's front offices, how people were treated, how people were talked about. And so in subpoenaing all these emails, 650,000 emails, the John Gruden stuff has come out now about things that he'd said when he was a member of, of ESPN's uh, broadcast team on Monday Night Football. What are the next steps? The workers who are being represented uh, in this case or former employees of the Washington football team have asked for for these to be released. There are players who have called for all of these emails to be released. And I'd imagine that if John Gruden's on this, we've seen Adam Schefter take some heat. There's some other damning stuff, I would imagine, in these emails. What do you think the next logical step is for the league? Yeah, there could potentially be more evidence out there. So the problem or the tricky part here is that this investigation is over. I mean, it wrapped up this summer. They, you know, kind of announced the findings as much as they did announce the Friday before 4th of July. I mean, it was the classic, like, you know, 
holiday weekend news dump. Let's slip something in here where a lot of when a lot of people aren't paying attention. I believe it was, you know, it was kind of a Friday afternoon. They put out a press release. They did a, a conference call and they kind of said, here it is. There is no written report. So, you know, Beth Wilkinson, the lawyer who was hired to do this investigation into the Washington football team, conceivably she and her staff, you know, they were the ones who collected all of this evidence, who conducted all of these interviews, but we don't know who that was with. So I don't think they're going to reopen an investigation. It's just now there's this call for transparency about what was actually included, who was spoken to, what sort of evidence was presented, and a little bit more clarity about why there was no actual written report. And the NFL is saying it was part of the deal for this whole investigation in the first place was that there wouldn't be a written report provided because of how sensitive a lot of the the subjects were. It was frustrating at the time to hear that. It was confusing at the time to hear that back in July. And now it even makes less sense, you know, now, now that we know that, you know, parts of the investigation that didn't actually pertain to the Washington football team are now coming out. That all of that information was turned over to the league. The league has been able to review, you know, go through a lot of these documents. And I don't think it's just the emails. You know, I think the emails are kind of the sexy bit right now because that's where the John Gruden information came from. It was specifically from this email correspondence. But I want to know what was in the interviews. Who exactly did you speak to? What were in those depositions? And the big question and the biggest question hanging over all of this is what was Dan Snyder's role? We know that he was punished. We know that the team was fined $10 million. We know that he was asked to take a formal step back from running the day-to-day operations of that team, turn over a lot of the kind of the day-to-day stuff to his wife. So what is Dan Snyder's role in all of this? And if John Gruden can lose his job deservedly so, lose his job because of some information that was included kind of collaterally in this investigation. Why is Dan Snyder still running this team? And what was his role in all of this and creating that culture? So I just don't know exactly how this moves forward. The NFL feels very dug in from their side that, you know, they're not going to do a document dump and, you know, upload 650,000 emails onto a server where, you know, reporters can take a look at it. The former employees, they want to see it. So if the idea was it was protecting the confidentiality of the former employees, that argument doesn't hold a lot of water. So, you know, right now, the NFL doesn't want to release all of this. There isn't an actual report that came from Beth Wilkinson to release. So the only real logical conclusion that you can draw is that the league is for some reason protecting Dan Snyder. And that is really kind of a hard thing to to understand and to kind of wrap your head around because, you know, why are they protecting him? Is it because it's the old boys network? Is there a lot of money involved? Is it because other owners don't want a precedent where, you know, all of their business and their dirty laundry could be aired and, you know, going through their closets to find what skeletons are in there? I think all of those things are kind of at play right now. And the NFL is just kind of desperately hoping that that this would be it, you know, that there's not going to be more that comes out. But it does feel like this is probably not the end of it. 
I'm with you. It sort of feels like it's all of the above and, and the idea that they need to protect the shield at all costs and they've you know worked hard to sort of rehab the image, obviously going back to the Colin Kaepernick situation and uh, he and Eric Reed still unsigned. Anyway, that's uh, neither here nor there. But if you circle back to the John Gruden firing and based on the values that the Raiders hold near and dear to their organization, you know, we can crack jokes about the black hole and the crazy fans and the move to LA and then back to Oakland and to Vegas and all that. But it is an organization that before Al Davis, you know, was, was much older at the end of his career, hired Amy Trask as, as one of the first, the first woman executive in the NFL, hired Tom Flores as a head coach, hired Art Shell as a head coach. He was an inclusive type of guy. And so to cut it off with John Gruden here, while he and Mark were very close, I think this says a lot about where the, the Raiders are as a franchise. Obviously, to your point, it's it's he could not continue in this role. Where do you come down on Mark Davis as a guy who should be speaking out? Or do you look at this and just say, which is kind of where I'm coming from, that John Gruden had so much power, to your point, and they're saying now Mike Mayock will have the 51-49 weight on the roster. When you tell us that there's that sort of percentage breakup, sort of seems like Mark Davis has nothing to do with the day-to-day running of the team. He's certainly not Jerry Jones. So what do you think his role is? Do we need more from him? What's your take on all that? We do need more from him. He's certainly not his father. He doesn't have the personality of his father. He doesn't have the gravitas of his father. Few people, nobody really could. could. I mean, that's like, that's an impossible role to fill. But, you know, we need more from him. If he is going to be the guy who is making all of the decisions with this organization, you know, obviously he put everything out there to hire John Gruden. He made no, you know, he did not, he did not try to hide how much he coveted John Gruden, how much he respected John Gruden and really wanted him to be the coach there. You know, he needs to answer the questions. It shouldn't be Mike Mayock. It shouldn't be Rick Biscasha, who are the people who have to come out there and answer about, you know, why this happened, what happened, what the culture of the team was, what did they know, what were the things they were hearing from the NFL, all of those sorts of things. And, you know, I I think he gave a very brief statement to Paul Gutierrez of ESPN earlier this week where he said, you know, ask the NFL, they're the ones with all the answers. Well, Sure, I think the NFL are the ones who would have the answers about why this leaked or how these emails came out. But the readers are the ones who need to have the answers about what they knew and when did they receive these on Friday? What was he able to, you know, did you have any concerns about him coaching throughout the weekend? What was going on within your locker room? How do you address the racist language that was used? How do you in your locker room that is, you know, overwhelmingly made up of uh, African American players? How do you address the repeated homophobic slurs? that were used in a locker room that includes Carl Nassib, who, you know, John Gruden, who, you know, now we know was, he was being very disingenuous when he talked about how proud he was and supportive of having the first active gay player in the NFL. You know, how do you address those things? And Mark Davis needs to be the one who is doing that. And it is cowardly that he has not been, that he has removed himself from that situation. I don't think we should be surprised. I mean, he, he didn't come out and talk about, you know, the firing of Jack Del Rio. You know, and that was something that an owner should do. You know, we have seen him, you know, try to take ownership for things they're excited about, the new stadium, some of the off the field endeavors that the team has taken on. But part of being a leader is accepting responsibility for when things go wrong, too. And he has certainly not done that right now. And Raiders fans should be demanding that he do it. His players should be asking Mark Davis to be accountable here because it's putting them and their coaches and Mike Mayock in a really bad situation. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. 
so let's ask about the football side of things here. Uh, you know, they've got, got, to, got to move into a different situation here without John Gruden. You say is, you're right, he was in charge of everything that went on, from player personnel to, to what happens on the field. They started pretty good. They were 3-0, and weren't they, before they, or they were, uh, they were yeah, 3-0. Yeah, 3-0. And lost to the Bears uh, last week, but uh, you have them ranked number 17. You and Vic Tafer put out your, your power rankings the other day for, for where they rank. I, I, by the way, I love your breakout player as Hunter Renfro. You, you guys wrote, has gone from cute little third down guy up to a hard nose enforcer on fake putts i've loved what uh, what we've seen from hunter renfro through the first i think four games this year he was one of eight players who had at least five receptions in every game this season what happens to the football side of things why do you have him at number 17 and and what's the outlook on this team because i believe they were a game out of the playoffs or two games out of the playoffs last year and it could be a whole nother cycle again of starting over now for the las vegas raiders what's your take on them on the field yeah, I mean, you go back just a month and, you know, they were one of the the best stories in the league, right? They had that 3-0 and start, although they got to 3-0, and that game against the Dolphins was real weird, right? They thought they had won it and then they almost lost it and then they came back and ultimately won it with a final second in overtime against a Dolphins team that we're seeing now is, is very bad. But, you know, things have spiraled and it's, you know, it, things have unraveled very, very quickly there. There was the Monday night loss to the Chargers and then last week the loss to the Bears when they only scored nine points. And, you know, Justin Fields looked like a legit NFL quarterback, which he absolutely is going to be, but, you know, he's very early in his development. So it was a really bad day for the Raiders, you know, and they were kind of that that dark cloud was building from the Gruden emails. But now they're in this really, really tricky spot where they're coming to Denver. I'm going to I live in Denver. I'm going to be at that game on Sunday. The Broncos are in a really tough spot. They also started three and oh and have lost two games. So it just feels like both of these teams and especially the Raiders are at this just very, you know, it's just this is a very critical point in their season. And, you know, during that hot three and oh start, so much was going well for the Raiders, especially offensively. It seemed like they had kind of progressed to this next level where they had unlocked something with this, the connection and the play calling kind of connection between John Gruden and Derek Carr. And they had this explosive downfield game. They were starting to finally figure out what to do with Henry Ruggs. And Darren Waller was maybe used too much, but, you know, was really reminding everybody that he's in that top three tight end conversation and should be, you know, for the entire season. And then all of a sudden, you know, you go last week, they only scored nine points. And that's like, you know, who is this team? What do they do? Well, this is going to be tough. You know, you now all of a sudden, you don't just lose your head coach, you've lost your play caller, you lost the guy who sets the tone for everything. Um, Greg Olson is going to be the new play caller. You know, he's an experienced guy. He's been in the league a long time. But it is going to be a shift for Derek Carr and for that offense to go from one player caller to another on such short notice. And then just, you know, what's the leadership there? Like, you know, how do they stay on track? I wouldn't be surprised if we see one of these like us against the world, you know, really good effort type of game this week, specifically against the Broncos. But how well can you make or, you know, how long can you maintain that? You look ahead, they've got the Eagles, they've got the Giants. They do have their bye week in a couple of weeks, which desperately needed for this team. But yeah, I mean, they went from a team who a couple of weeks ago seemed like a playoff team to a team now who is on the verge of, you know, everything just completely falling apart. One more thought here on the, the NFC, the NFC, the AFC West, I should say, as you cover the Broncos, and we talked a lot of Raiders. I do a, a, a morning show here in the Bay Area in San Francisco, and one of our guys before the season picked the Chargers to win the AFC West. We all were like, Smart guy. what are you talking? <laughs> yeah, we're Paul McCaffrey. We were like, what the hell are you talking about, man? Did you forget Pat Mahomes plays in that division? Here we are, heading into week six now, and the Chargers look legit. I mean, Justin Herbert, if you were going to start a franchise right now, he'd be up near the top of the list of, of the quarterbacks you would snatch 
matchup to be your quarterback. What can you say about the Chargers? I know they rebuilt that offensive line. Their secondary, Asante Samuel Jr. is out there. My 49ers, I think, missed on that one, not taking him in the second round, trading down and, and not taking him. But anyway, back to the Chargers. What's your thought on them? And do you think they're the, the runaway favorite now to win the West? Yeah, I mean, I don't know if they're the runaway favorite because I think the Chiefs are still going to be really, really dangerous. They do have that, you know, that head to head win against the Chiefs from a couple of weeks ago. And they've been a team that even before Brandon Staley's arrival this year, the Chargers had played the Chiefs really well. They beat them a couple of years ago. I guess it was the 20, was that the 2018 season, 2019 season. They had that crazy, it was a Thursday night game. Mike Williams had a had a bonkers game just like he did a couple of weeks ago <laughs> right, against right. the Chiefs. He's kind of like the Chiefs slayer. They have the quarterback and that fixes so much. You know, they have a guy who's, you know, kind of like Patrick Mahomes was a couple of years ago where obviously incredibly physically gifted, but he just has it. He's clutch, you know, he makes those dagger throws. And now you have a head coach who gets it too. I mean, who they they're just feeling it. The way that they know what to call on third down, when to go for it on fourth down. You know, it's just clearly a team that's playing with a ton of confidence, a team who knows exactly who they are. And after five weeks with a new coach to kind of have already so firmly established an offensive and defensive identity is really, really impressive. So I I think what's really happened over the last couple of weeks is it's certainly the Chargers, but it's the Bills, it's the Browns, it's the Ravens. The entire kind of landscape of the AFC has changed where I am definitely guilty of this, where I went into this season thinking it was still the Chiefs and then there was a gap. And then there was going to be this next tier of teams down. And it was those four teams that I just mentioned, um, or five teams that I just mentioned. And now it's almost like those four teams are ahead of the Chiefs. I think the Chiefs will still be a playoff team. I think they can be very, very dangerous, especially when they get their turnover problems. Their defense is historically bad, potentially, and that is going to be a major liability. But they're still going to routinely score 30 points a game, which is going to win them more games than they're going to lose. But it just the entire landscape of the AFC has changed where, yeah, the Chargers are now the AFC West favorites. The playoffs are going to go through Los Angeles and Buffalo, probably. I mean, you have to imagine now if the Chiefs want to get back to a third Super Bowl in a row, they're going to have to go on the road potentially for three playoff games, right? If they're a wild card team, they might have to go back to Baltimore where they've already, you know, they've already lost a game to the Ravens this year. They may have to go back to LA for a third game against the Chargers. And they certainly could have to play the AFC championship game in Buffalo, which imagine that scene. I mean, that would be (laughs) wild and really, really fun for a late January AFC championship game in Buffalo. How about two different places, Buffalo and L.A.? Bills Mafia going up against the Chargers could be crazy. And how about potentially the Chargers and the Rams maybe getting to play games down at SoFi Stadium? Could be incredible. That'd be a fun championship game week, followed by the Super Bowl all at the same same stadium. The NFL... Stan Kroenke with his $5 billion stadium would certainly love that. Yeah, Lindsay, you do such a great job. I appreciate you making time. We'll definitely catch up with you before the Bills Mafia get into the AFC Championship later this season. We'll talk to you later. Sounds good. See you later. Great stuff from Lindsey Jones. Obviously not a fun conversation to have about this stuff with John Gruden, but there are steps to be taken, I think, to find out what happened in the rest of these emails. And it's interesting that a lot of these owners, a lot of these head coaches, I'd imagine, a lot of people around the league, including journalists like Adam Schefter mentioned and and a part of these emails, it'll be interesting to see how this plays out and what the steps are that the NFL takes as they have tried very hard to rehab their image over the last couple of years. 
Thank you to Lindsay. Thank you to Brian. Thank you to you, the listener. If you're enjoying the podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe to us wherever it is you're listening. Warrior basketball starts on Tuesday night. We're going to talk to Dave DeFore, who covers the NBA for The Athletic. That's coming up on Monday, and then we'll get back into some playoff baseball, all things we can talk about in the days and weeks ahead. Until Monday, enjoy the weekend. We'll talk to you then.